there, Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment here. Welcome to the latest episode of the Farm Equipment Podcast Series, Our Dealer Story. In this episode, I sat down with Todd Channel of Farmers Equipment, a three-store Case IH dealership in Ohio, during the United Equipment Dealers Association's annual convention. Farmers Equipment has a unique story getting its start when the local Case IH store closed down and former employees and local farmers got together to bring a dealership back to Urbana, Ohio. We had a lot of people at the very beginning and even the first few years they kept saying, well, you know, I hope you do well, but you probably won't and you'll probably fail and you won't make it. And the greatest joy in life is doing something somebody told you you couldn't do. That was Todd talking about some of the naysayers who didn't believe farmer's equipment was going to make it. Before we head over to Todd, I wanted to thank our sponsor, HBS Systems, a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Thanks for making this new podcast series possible. Okay, let's get things going. Here's my conversation with Todd Channel, General Manager of Farmers Equipment based in Urbana, Ohio. Well, we'll start at the beginning. Sometime towards the end of 2003, right after Christmas, beginning of 2004, the dealership that I worked at in Urbana, Ohio, had some financial issues, also had some legal issues that uh, later on caused them to lose their contract. Well, at the time, you know, a lot of the employees didn't know where they were going to go. There was a lot of good long-term employees, a lot of talented people worked at this dealership. In return, there was an awful lot of farmers that have a lot of red paint and were concerned about their investment in their equipment and were not too interested in driving 30, 40, 50, 60 miles or more for service and parts. So there was a need. So when it became evident that the, the dealership was not going to survive, you know, the employees that were left, uh, some of us were working on uh, moving some machinery and uh, uh, getting parts ready to go. Um, a farmer came in one day and said, what do you know about what would it take for a group of farmers to put a group together to buy this dealership? And they had actually approached the previous owner and asked him about it, and it was kind of tied up legally, so he really couldn't do anything. So he asked me what to do. Well, it crossed our minds, maybe we need to you know, see about finding a buyer or somebody take our territory over. And uh, so the more we talked, we found out we had common goals. And it was myself and three other employees that uh, were still working at the store at this point. So the farmer brought up that he had talked to about 10 or 12 guys and said, is it possible for us to, you know, we have to have X amount of dollars to start this dealership, buy this facility and get going in business. So. Is it possible for us to sell stock or anything to the company? I said, well, we need to find out, number one, whether Case IH would accept this as a deal. So I know a lot of people with Case IH have been involved for, since the you know, late early 80s, actually. So he said, okay, this is just continue to have some talks. This is in January, February, about where we're going. So uh, I made some phone calls uh, to our local people with Case because of legal issues, they really couldn't talk to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had some guys I you know, was talking to that wouldn't even pick up the phone at this point. And that was just their rule. Um, so I did get some information and I did finally get a hold of someone in dealer development. And I said, hey, I represent a group that is interested in 
starting a restarting the dealership in Urbana, Ohio. And he says, well, there's a, there's a lot of things we have to go through to get that done. I said, well, I understand that. I had right. seen a dealership application and I knew some of the processes. Never went through it, but I knew the basics. Boy, that's the only thing I knew too. <laughs> so anyways, uh, he said, I can send you a basic outline and I can send you a uh, application. But I'll tell you up the bat, you, you need $400,000 at the time of unencumbered funds. That's what you've got to have, and we won't even talk before that. So um, I said, send it on. So I got in contact with the farmer, and a few of us sat down at the store one day, and, okay, this is what we need. So this group of farmers, I'm talking about four or five solid guys, sit down and say, okay, let's say we're going to sell X amount of shares of stock of this company for X million dollars. Let's see what we can do. Well, this process kept rolling on, and I said, we've got to have the money lined up before we do anything. Mm -hmm. So we had a couple community meetings at the local fairgrounds, and one of the meetings we had 70 or 80 people show up at our meeting interested in uh, the whole idea of getting a dealership back going. At the point we had priced our stock, which I won't say what it was, but we priced our stock at a certain price. So we were needing about 10 to 15 people is what we needed. We didn't get any too many takers. A lot of, lot of, yeah, we're for it, we're for it, but we didn't get a lot of takers. So what ended up happening, a, a guy just talking after a meeting when real work gets done most of the time, said, why don't you guys just drop the price and sell a whole lot more stock and get a lot of people involved. Yeah, we could probably do that. So later on, we had another meeting, and we dropped our price way down. And quite a few people, let's yeah. put it this way, said, yeah, we would, we would put that in. We would put that in. So I started down the process of working on dealer application. And I, had, of course, picked up the phone, talked to dealer development, and said, we can put this plan together. And they said, okay, start putting your plans together. So I, I wrote, a, myself and a couple others sat down and wrote a business plan. We did not have any financials from the prior dealership. Didn't have very many sales numbers, and those were hard to get from Case. I don't know why. So basically, your three-year performer that you have to put together for the company was, okay, what did we sell last year? What did we sell the year before? And what was the average price? And we started performing up. The expense side was the worst thing, you know, yeah. you know salaries, wages, and uh, putting the expense side to perform together. Fortunately, my wife is an accountant, and um, we weathered that, her <laughs> doing the performance for us and, and doing all that kind of uh, paperwork on that end. I worked on the dealer side of it, okay, uh, you know, who's going to be the potential management team? Uh, who uh, is going to run parts, who's going to run service. Well, just about everyone in the dealership or the key people in that dealership are all interested. Several were going to invest money in the dealership to start with. So, you know, I had real live names with real live experience to put on our applications. So, this rolls on. Uh, we start submitting performance and we kept getting performance rejected. Well, that's not good enough. Yeah. This is not good enough. You've got to jump this hoop. You've got to jump that hoop. Almost two months worth of total rejection. You kept trying. You kept trying. I though. kept trying. We all kept trying. 
Uh, in the meantime, we're you know, talking, with, you know, still having a few meetings with the group. And what we decided to do, and this was coming from the farmer side of the, our business, or the investor side, I'll call it. Uh, okay, everybody's going to put in a real low amount of money, so we know you're serious. Plus, we need a few bucks to, you know, we had to go buy a printer, we had to go buy some things. Actually, um, you know, you have to have a, uh, your tax ID number and you've got to go get a lot of your legal stuff done before you can submit anything to case. So we had to basically, you know, have a few dollars to start the company. So, you know, we've got a wagon, we've got a group of horses. And we don't know how to put it together at this point <laughs> because we don't have assurances from anybody we're going to get it off the ground. Mm -hmm. um, so we continue on, and this is three months after the, the meltdown, as we call it, and uh, it's getting a little frustrating. The, the current owner of the building, which we've used all along, is trying to sell it. He's trying to push us to purchase the facility. We're using that facility as that's where we're going to be, so we have an address. Um, but he's needing to move on. Right. So, anyways, um, I'm missing out on a lot of details, but uh, after about three total months, we get our performance through. They accept them, and I finally get the word. The rest of the application goes through and everything, and the, the dealer development guy says, I am now ready to take this to the dealer review board, which meets like <coughs> twice a month. Okay. So we waited a couple of weeks and uh, pretty nerve-wracking because we don't know where we're at. And, um, and really we've got a pledge of the money, but we don't know for sure. So anyways, we get the, the call sometime in May that um, he calls up and said, Mr. Chino, he always called me Mr. Chino. And I just wanted to let you know that um, you get uh, you know, a few financial things put together for us, namely your bank and mainly this and that. I will be able to issue a dealer number to you. So I go to the group. I, we're all excited now, what we do. Yeah. Uh, so we get the group together. Okay, this is happening for real, guys. We need checks. And um, I don't think we had about a handful of people that had intended to be in didn't come through and write the check. Now here's some, you know, sounds like we're cruising, and yeah. now here's some more coming. So this is, uh, we're in good shape. We get where we're going to get a dealer number, and I come in one day, and the owner of the building says, well, you guys didn't come up fast enough. I sold the building. We have no building. We sold We have a potential dealer number. We have no building. What are we going to do now? So I'll just, two days goes by, I am working with a bank, I'm working with getting this and their insurance agent and different things lined up, proceeding, trying to figure out what we're going to do. The old John Deere dealership down the street from us was a Polaris dealer, and one of the guys that was helping on the contracts and everything, helping me out, came back and he says, Guy down the road just put a for rent sign in front of his building. Well, David Orhood, one of our techs, and me and Mark Randall, which was helping me, we were in the truck like in three seconds running down the street <laughs> yeah. while he was gone. So we're calling him. We would like to talk to you. Well, later that afternoon, he says, I know about what you guys are doing. He said, I almost came to meet him. And um, he says, um, I'd like to help you guys out. 
said, do you want to rent the whole facility? There was three buildings there. I said, yeah. And um, I'm going to work you a deal. He said, uh, so he threw out a number. I said, we'll, we'll work with that number, and then we'll work out a long-term lease when we finish this all out. So we found a building. You know, now we have to move. In a day, pretty much? In three days. Three days? Three days. You know, you know, a door closed, another one opened. Yeah. So, okay, that, that disaster is averted. We decide as a group we have to have, now we have to have some management within the farmer group and the investor group. So we elect the board of directors. And we have a seven-member board of directors, which we have today. Uh, at that point, they said, uh, if you want to be general manager and run the company, you probably can. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll do that. We'll get back to Farmers Equipment's story in a minute, but first I wanted to say thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. To learn more about HBS Equipment's dealership management systems, visit www.hbssystems.com. After that, head over to farm-equipment.com for the latest industry news. Now back to the story of Farmers Equipment and how the group continued to overcome roadblocks along the way to becoming a dealership. I always you know, loved the management side of it anyways, that's where I wanted to be. So I agreed to do that and um, I was kind of committed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we got our board of directors together, you know, elected officers and we've got a direct, you know, we go and actually down to the bank that we had been talking about, you know, lines of credit and such. And um, this particular bank says, you know, you guys really done good. You've got this investment group put together. To, open the dealership, you got cases, you know, blessing, and we think you're gonna do fine, but we're not with you. One of our board members was an ex-board member of that bank, and it was touchy for a little bit there. They left us. We didn't have a bank at this point. Yeah. So one of the our investors called another banker, and they came in like the next day. Within three days, they had came up with a plan to work with us. And of course, you know, we still work with that bank today, obviously. And so within three or four days, we averted that disaster. The next thing we had to go through is all the computers, tooling, books, right. parts bins, desks. We're all gonna sell in an auction. Fortunately, we're put together. We've got money to do it. We, they had a sale, an from auction, the old from dealership. the old dealership. And uh, of course, we pretty much purchased everything there. Had to move everything, you know, a quarter mile up the road. And uh, which was really good when you have quite a few investors. Um, you can call them up and say, hey, we're putting parts bins together today. I need about 20 of you. So, but, uh, and I'll divulge this. Our initial investment group was uh, uh, 65 people. 65? There were 65 people. Most people were in at the, the minimum amount. Uh, there was seven or eight people that had extra, had more mm -hmm. money in, but there was no majority. Okay. Um, and we, you know, of course, in our articles and corporation and how we operate, you know, we set it up. There's no way anybody can be a majority owner. Okay. And we set up how stock can be bought and sold. So we laid everything out like you're supposed to lay out. Well, the next thing that came up, we're moving parts bins, we're putting parts up, and then we were kind of informed that maybe we didn't sell stock properly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and we had had legal, we had had a lot of legal advice. Found out that the legal advice wasn't as accurate as it should have been. So we ended up going to Columbus and finding a firm that was used to SEC rules. Even though we were a semi-private company, anytime you sell stock, you need to register with the SEC. Okay. We had not done that quite properly. We didn't get in trouble or anything, but we had to kind of incur a lot more um, legal fees to get uh, everything taken care of. Yeah. So, so we get that taken care of, get, our, get everything put together. I get all the techs and the people back, and we didn't really hire anybody. All nine people that started in our dealership were in the old dealership. Okay. We started out with nine. And, um, Late July of 2004, we opened the door and started selling parts. Had no equipment on the lot. Um, one funny story on equipment. Um, of course, Case is writing orders with us at this. At this point, all local people came back, glad to see you. They came and helped put bins together. They did some painting and things for that, so they helped out, uh, put parts away. So I appreciate the local guys came back when they could. But. Um, it was kind of funny. We we had Case IH line and nothing else, and we had talked about a few other vendors. Had a uh, the Mark Decker, who's a national sales manager of Land Pride mm -hmm. today, was a uh, he was a sales manager of Land Pride. And he had a new salesman with him, and they were out just call, cold calling on dealers. And they walked in, and of course we don't have a sign up yet. We don't have uh, our faces up. We're painting part of the building, the faces up with no name on it, and. So we hear there's going to be an equipment dealership here. Said, yeah, you heard right. And um, really, would you guys be interested in laying pride equipment? And I looked at him and I just, yeah. <laughs> and Mark and uh, Larry Krastowski, the rep, just looked at each other. Now what we do? We got somebody actually told us, yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I actually saw one of them last night. And. Um, but uh, that was just a funny thing, and uh, we've been a land prey dealer ever since. Um, so it was end of July 2004, we got up okay. and operating, nine people. Proud to say our company has never lost money. That's awesome. We had 65 stockholders. Um, we made it where any stock that was sold had to be sold either back to the company or to an existing stockholder. Okay. And uh, proud to say the company has either bought every share back and or the stockholder has bought it the share back we've never had a share go to the street so things went really well we, we started growing and we finally got some equipment on a lot we had another dealer from upper sandusky actually brought us some used equipment so we had something to sell for a while so we iron shortage back there and equipment yeah. was tight in 2004 and 5. 2007, we got the wild idea that um, you know we've recovered from this startup. Maybe we ought to look at you know expanding, and uh, we purchased two stores in um, uh, from an, a family in Lakeview, Ohio, and uh, Elida, Ohio. And uh, with that, there were Case H dealership, but they were also Kubota, and um, we found that paper become a Kubota dealer at the same time. So Case H and Kubota was our main lines. And required to, you know, more employees and stretched our footprint through West Central Ohio out a little more. And that's what we are today. We're three small, three-store operation. That's that's what we are, and that's how we are. So operate. was there a point in any of that kind of crisis after crisis in 2004 where you were just like, what the heck are we doing? And we're close to, like, oh, just throwing yeah. in the towel? 
Um, I, I got frustrated quite often. Uh, my wife got frustrated doing a lot of the, the, the financial stuff for us because mm -hmm. this, this is right, this is works, this is good, and it keeps getting rejected for different reasons. Yeah, trying to, I, I think the, the time frame between when everybody threw in a few bucks so we could operate a little bit versus actually getting the whole money, there was a lot of people lost some interest because we're also, they're going through a planning season. So the focus of rolling on and moving forward is now gone, we're all farming. Right. So, and we're not all owned by farmers. There's, um, uh, you know, through options and stuff, there's probably seven or eight employees that are stockholders. Okay. Um, there's a car dealer that has stock. There's another agribusiness owner that uh, could two of them that have stock in the company. Um, there's a few just passive investors that put a little bit of money in. Um, and that, but the majority are, are still farmers. And something unique that, that really happened, it's in a, the biggest thing the case come up with and we decided from day one, and it was something I brought up uh, somebody said, well, what kind of discounts and things are we going to get as, as owners of this company? And I, I don't know where it came from. It was just something I knew. I, and I got up in front of the group. This may not be popular, but we cannot treat a stockholder any different than we do a non-stockholder. Because if we do, what is going to, you know, a non-stockholder may not want to work with us. Mm -hmm. if they don't think they're going to get the same deal as you are. So, and the thing is, we've got to make money. Right. We're not here to be a break-even operation. We need to make money to provide the services that you guys are going to want down the road. So we have to make a profit. And believe it or not, we only had a couple of people disagree with that whole thing, and they didn't stay as investors, and they sold their stock out, and there was only a couple of them. Everybody bought in, and everybody abided by those rules, and we operate that way today. So, but getting back to our purchase of uh, New Hampshire and, and um, well, Lakeview and um, Elida, um, we recreated the whole thing, and that is where we came up with the funding to purchase those stores, okay. is we issued some additional stock, trying to get some of the investors and, or um, farmers in those areas to buy in so they okay. were part of the local ownership. We, we put it out among stockholders with X amount of shares, and uh, basically the original stockholder group bought them all. We had to issue a few extra so yeah. we could get some new stockholders in. So, But anyways, um, that's how we finance those stores, and you know, that's been over 10 years ago since we did that did operation. That, that was pretty quick after getting through the first uh, Yeah, I have no purchase. clue why we did that, but it seems like a thing to do at the time. But we, we had done well, and we felt like the you know, ag community was good. You know, we obviously had the interest in Kubota with that, that line, um, and, and very much so, because in turn down an ag, uh, the Kubota line has really helped us a ton. Mm -hmm. It really has. And we've gotten heavy in the construction side, so it's part of our diversification. Okay. It's, we're just not ag now. Now you know, we have an outdoor power wing, and, and we have a construction wing where we like construction equipment, excavators, and tracks skid steers. This summer, we're going to launch a rental yard. You're not slowing down. No, <laughs> no, no, we're not slowing down, but um, we're not necessarily out looking to buy additional dealerships or anything at right. that, this point. 
because I still think we've got some um, things to make our dealership better. But uh, right. we're proud of where we went. We're proud of what we did. I know our, all of the employees or stockholders are, this is about family, but those nine people are family. Yeah, well, I mean, it was yeah. really, the community came together. Absolutely. From what it sounds like, said, we can't let this happen. We've got to. And it, it just took two groups. It took the dealership faction. It took the farmers in the community. We've got a few investors who do not own red paint. Now, there are darn few of them. <laughs> but they don't have any red paint on their, on their wow. farms. But they believe in keeping the agricultural business in our county, you know, strong. And, That's awesome. Uh, you know, and we still have those people. And um, we've since split our stock to, as our stockholder group has gotten older, we know eventually that it will have some stock go for sale. Right. And we did split it. We're now up to 92 names that are basically partners. Um, I don't see them very often when we have our annual meeting every year. That, that's how we're put together. But. So where was the next closest Case IH dealer in the area? It's probably 35 to 40 miles away. Okay. So the the farmers were, some of them were driving long distance, you know, in the meantime, you know, to get parts and service. And uh, Urbana is a very good trade area. So um, we've got decent, good market share in that area. So um, we felt it could work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, I stood up the meeting and you know, there's no guarantees this is going to work at all. And, um, you know, we think we can make it work and we need all your help to make it work. Yeah. And we got it. We got the community got behind us and, uh, you know, we had the right bank. And, you know, even though we didn't really borrow any money, you still got to have it available. A quick break in the action to invite you to our annual Dealership Mind Summit. Check out this unique management event for farm equipment dealers only at www.dealershipmindssummit.com. It's a quick hit, two-day mastermind style summit that connects you to your peers of all colors. Come participate and learn from the very best minds in the ag machinery dealer world, all seeking solutions to your same challenges. www.dealershipmindssummit.com. Over the years, how involved have the, the stockholders been in the actual operation of the business and things like that? They, day to day, they're not there. Okay. Um, you know, there's some of our stockholders I haven't seen since the initial meeting. Okay. Uh, and that's the non-farm ones. Um, you know, we have board meetings, uh, you know, monthly, so we have a rotation on our board. So we've got different people. We've had a multitude of different people from different walks, some farmers, some business people. Not that farmers aren't business people get there, and they are. Yeah. But we've we've had different people involved in our board, and you know everybody's offered something different, and how we manage it, our business, you know, how we make an acquisition, and how we proceeded down the road. So our board has been very supportive and have been very strong, but. Um, but they've also let the dealership personnel run the dealerships. Yeah. So, and that's um, one of our initial board members was a retired implement dealer, who okay. is one of the most respected guys in the in our area. 
and uh, I credit him for a lot of that. They're you know, laying down that groundwork. You know, you've got to, um, you know, we can't overmanage, we can't micromanage. We've got to go let the dealership people run the dealership. Mm -hmm. And um, they did, and it's worked wonderfully. Yeah. You know, the relationship with the board's been great. Good. What do you think's the biggest lesson you've learned along the way through that whole process? Or now just, you know, now you've been running the business for 15 years? Well, take care of people your employees and your customers, and they'll take care of you. Mm -hmm. You know, as a manager, but as a business, the same way. If you take care of your customer, our business was always built on service. You know, we are going to have a strong, strong service department. Um, and, it, you know, we keep guys going, we keep them working in return. They purchase equipment, creates our revenues, so it's just, we take care of each other. Yeah, it's a joint venture in that way, just like this whole process was. Think you'll ever turn those few non-red guys that are stockholders? Oh, they, they, <laughs> they, they, we try. Yeah. We try. We we probably got in on their lawnmower business a little bit, but uh, uh, I think the new uh, the younger generation coming up have a different mindset, and it'll probably happen. Yeah, it'll probably happen. I hope so. Do any of the employees have? ownership in the company? Yes. I would say there's eight at this point. Okay. A couple of them have retired. So people um, more in management positions, I yeah. imagine? Yeah. But we have, a, for example, we've got a, a parts man that has stock. We've got two techs out in the shop. Our service department manager has stock. So, um, and I think down the road, very shortly, we're going to probably be pushing some options on to employees more. I. I don't really think an ESOP's in the plan down the road okay. because farmers are buyers and owners. Right. They're not easy sellers. And uh, so I don't see us going an ESOP down, even though I've done some studying on it. Um, but I think we're going to continue to try to get more employees involved because it's um, they police each other. They watch what's being spent, especially in our, our shop, our older techs who are stockholders do a better job of teaching our younger techs coming up mm -hmm. and creating a culture. I never have to manage anybody in our shop because our three or four older techs manage the shop. Mm -hmm. This is how we do it here. That's the culture that they brought to the company. They didn't, we didn't create it. They had it. Yeah. it was in, that's how they operated. Okay. So, but um, just you know, you just you got to pick out your partners, and you got to you know trust your partners, and have other people. You know, you need help. Yeah. You need help, and you know, divvy it all up and work hard. The two stores that you bought, did that family? Did they leave the business, or were any of them still yeah, involved? They left the they business. Left the business. Yeah, we started at uh, the one store. Personnel has never been an issue for us. Um, I think we might have lost four or five people in employment in Urbana location in the 15 years wow. we've been in business. Um, and great. two, three of them have retired. So once you come there, you you're, you, you stay there. I yeah. um, the other stores, one of them hasn't been quite as uh, fortunate that way. We've done some turnover, but um, it's just learning the area and things like that but we've got good strong 
group at both those stores now and, and doing really well. But it took a while to change the culture they were at. They were in a dealership that was failing. Okay. And um, we basically actually took it over in the fall of um, 2007 and it was going to close during harvest. And we took it over before that and paid wages and things like that because we we couldn't let the dealership go down the middle of harvest. Right, yeah. We could not do that, so we actually picked it up a little early. We, the official date was like 1st of December, but we were actually in Manjin at the end of September. Keeping things moving and continuing to be the community that came together. Yeah, yeah, trying to keep it going. So, and uh, uh, the few people that we've got up there, they bought in. So, but um, like I said, it's, um, it's been rewarding. Yeah. Is interesting, I guess, and to a lot of people. But um, it's it's always good. We had a lot of people at the very beginning, and even the first few years, it kept saying, "Well, you know, I hope you do well, but you probably won't, and you probably fail, and you won't make it." And you know, the greatest joy in life is doing something somebody told you you couldn't do. Oh yeah. And uh, believe me, I used that a lot. <laughs> You know, on some of the bad days, you know, you know, I tell the guys that, that and you know, um, I hear it from our other our people at Woodswall, so it kind yeah. of carried through. And I um, assume the name came from Farmers Equipment came from the fact that. Yeah, that that was probably uh, that was probably one of our lar longest board meetings. Um, we had like five names in a hat and like. Uh, Everybody was fighting for their name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so finally one of the board members said, hey, we're primarily owned by farmers and we sell equipment for farmers, so let's be farmers' equipment. And, you know, everybody else was wore down, so that's how it came from. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even one of the five names in the hat. No, not really. Not really. So, and, you know, you, you play around their geographics and different things like that, and some names are used. and. Um, I didn't have a lot to do with that. Yeah. You know, it wasn't my choice, but uh, it's on all my clothes today. Right. <laughs> well, and no matter where where you expand to it, the name works. You know. Right. You didn't have to change anything when you got the other two stores because that name still yeah. makes sense. So it's not. Yeah. Well, it's kind of neat to be. I was in uh, my wife and I were waiting at a restaurant not long ago, and I noticed two guys over to. You know, I, I could tell they were farmers and they were with their wives and they were talking. And the one was familiar and I didn't know the other one. And they were, ended up being from distance away because I ended up going over and asking them. And uh, the reason I, you know, I don't listen to other people's conversations, but they said, yeah, we're going to stop at that farmer's place. They got a combine we want to look at, you know, and uh, the far that farmer's place. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I said, so I went over and just kind of said something and introduced myself and yeah and they they were from like four counties away but they were calling about that farmer's place so <laughs> that's a good thing I guess yeah did you did you sell them the combine uh no oh but they did come and look yeah so you, you know you're supposed to say oh yeah we made the sale but it doesn't always yeah, happen it doesn't, that way. doesn't always pan out it's all right yeah yeah so didn't didn't that it wasn't exactly what he's looking before yeah but so but um, I don't know, it's, uh, and I made mention to uh, maybe uh, Dave or something a few years ago that I wouldn't be too surprised that our 
way of how we got in business might be a way for, you know, we see a lot of M&As going on now and, um, you know, especially for the smaller stores, um, maybe a way to get some outside capital in the business without, because venture capitalists, you know, they want big deals, you know, mm -hmm. uh, hundred million plus dollar deals, but the smaller dealerships um, may be a way for um, smaller dealerships to acquire additional operations yeah. and for growth. I knew, um, you know, Case, when we were first starting out, they kept saying, well, we, don't, we really don't know what to do with you guys. You know, we don't have, we have stock order groups, but generally stock order groups are always owned by families. Mm -hmm. And you guys are, don't have the same last name. So. But it hasn't been a problem, and it's been no, it's everyone stayed good. on board, and yeah, so. took a little while to convince Case, but they've been. I think as much as anything, they didn't know what to do with us. They just okay. they didn't, you know, how do we do this with these guys? It was new to them too. Yeah, because they were used to, you know, two or three families, or you know, dads and sons, and dads and brothers, or brothers and owning and all that. Mm -hmm. and yeah, we were unique. Yeah. So. That's cool. That's a cool story. That's it. All right. Well, thank you. You, you heard the story. <laughs> I heard the story. I didn't even have to ask you most of my questions. I talked too much. Thanks so much to Todd for taking the time to sit down and share his story with us. And another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on the new series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lestermedia.com. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. This will ensure you'll be alerted as soon as new episodes are made. Special thanks to Joe Kinsley of our multimedia department for putting this together. Thanks for joining us for this one-on-one -on -one conversation with Todd Channel. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt, signing out of our Dealer Story Podcast.